Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Wednesday, June 22nd, 2022. This is Shannon, and tonight I'm here with Christine, Amber, and Brooke, and we are doing our yearly Pride-related episode. I realize by the time this airs, we'll be just outside of Pride Month, which is not my intention, but it's okay, because we should have Pride all the time, not just Yes, we should. Absolutely. Yes. So we will get started with our usual housekeeping information. And then I will start us off, followed by Amber, Christine, and lastly, we'll have Brooke. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. So, I had all these marvelous plans about all the like great new releases I was going to read for this episode and it was just going to be like fantastic. Well, it still will be fantastic just differently because I have decided that we are going to have for my portion of the episode witch books. So we have like queer witchy books from me. So my first book is Paybacks a Witch. Witches of Thistle Grove, book one by Lana Harper. And I adore Lana Harper with like every ounce of my being. Um, Paybacks to Witch is kind of a magical rom-com. It's set in this tiny town called Thistle Grove. And Thistle Grove is a magical place. There are people who live there that don't have magic, but the town basically runs because these four families do have magic and they kind of keep the town going. So Emmy is our main character and she has just returned to Thistle Grove after a long absence. She is supposed to be sort of the, like the referee or the arbiter of this generational tournament that happens every like so many years. And it sort of determines which family's magic is going to be the most powerful for this period of time. Now, Emmy's family has very, very limited magic, but their sort of purpose is that they are like the, the bookkeepers, the librarians, the like archivists of this town. And so they, they have these records that go back like all the way to the town's creation. So Emmy is now supposed to take her place as kind of the arbiter of this tournament. And she's feeling very ill-prepared. She feels like all the other families are more powerful magically, that their families are more important. And she's kind of doubting her ability to actually do this, this role justice. Plus, Emmy has very conflicted feelings about Thistle Grove in general. She has not wanted to be defined by her very limited magic. And so she left town as soon as she could, leaving her family and her best friend behind. So now she's back and she is having a lot of trouble reconnecting with people. Like everyone's kind of keeping her at arm's length. You know, they have a lot of hard feelings about how she left them years ago. And so they don't really know how to connect with them. And she doesn't know how to repair the damage that she caused. But when we enter Talia Abramoff, this sort of changes things because Talia has a plan and this plan requires that she, a girl named Lyndon, who is Emmy's best friend and Emmy team up 
to form kind of a, a witchy revenge pact against this family, like the, the Blackthorn family, who really is not, is not stellar. Um, these people use magic in ways that the rest of the town finds unethical. And Talia is tired of this family kind of ruling everything. So they start out trying to figure out ways to sort of sabotage the chances of this other family in the tournament. And through this, Emmy and Talia realize they have feelings for each other. And so we have this kind of um, like friends to lovers kind of vibe um, throughout the story. But we also see Emmy's powers growing like in and of herself, her relationships changing with Lyndon and with her family. Um, so it's, it is a rom-com. It's definitely a like female-female love story, but it's also about personal power and female friendships and love and magic and just everything that is delightful about romance and women loving women and witches. So this is Payback's a Witch, Witches of Thistle Grove, book one by Lana Harper. The second book is out now and the third will be out in January. And I am so excited for it. I want it now. This one's been on my radar for a while. So I'm super excited oh. to check it out. Yes. I really enjoyed it. It was so good. Okay. Um, so my first book tonight is... Uh, it's the only one that is a tearjerker, so uh, just be forewarned. And the book is called Don't Cry For Me by Daniel Black. Oh, I want to read in, that. Yes. In Don't Cry For Me, you meet Jacob, who is dying of cancer. And oh. he is an African-American man. Um, and he has fallen out with his son, Isaac. Um. And you find out pretty early in the book that they fall out because Isaac is gay. And Jacob writes letters to Isaac um, and tells Isaac things he needs to know. And this deals a lot with um, mas um, like masculinity and what it means to be a man from Jacob's perspective and from Jacob's ancestors' perspective. And it, and it deals a lot with uh, toxic masculinity. And, you know, Jacob talks a lot about things that he had to learn growing up that Isaac never learned. And, you know, it, it was all about what Jacob thought being a man was and how he could not equate, you know, Isaac liking theater and dance and all of that to his experiences of growing up in that intergenerational, um, you know, differences between two very different generations. Jacob grew up in like, you know, the thirties and forties in, in the South and Isaac grew up, you know, in the seventies and early eighties in, um, you know, in, uh, I think it was St. Louis, if I remember correctly. So this book, it's, it's a hard read because if you, if you don't like ambiguous endings, you might want to steer clear of this one. But it was a really short, interesting read about how things change over generations, how that intergenerational trauma plays out um, you know, from ancestors or how it can. And how, you know, people really have to try to change the things that they've been taught and, and how difficult it is for people to unlearn those things that they learned in childhood and growing up, but that it can be done. Um, and this is a pretty short, powerful book. I read it, you know, in, in a day. Um, and it's just one that I think is really integral to you know, a lot of different areas, African-American history, um, you know, it's good for pride, um, all of that good stuff. So again, that book is Don't Cry For Me by Daniel Black. On mm. my iPad. Yeah. 
Great. I will be adding this to my TBR list. Yeah, as yeah. well as I. So two of my books tonight take place in San Francisco, but they give us a very um, different view of, of life in that city. Um, the first one is Full Disclosure by Cameron Garrett. And in this book, we follow Simone Garcia Hampton, who lives with her two fathers. They are a mixed race couple. They've been together for many years. Um, and all we know about her biological parents is that her mother was a drug addict and that she had AIDS. Um, I don't, I don't remember if she's alive or not, but probably, I, I just don't remember. So there you, um, so she's starting a new, she's starting a school year in a new school because something not good happened to her at where they used to live. So her father's decided it would be good to move and start over. And she really hopes that this will be a better, better year. And it really does start out that way. She um, is made the director of the school musical. They're going to do Rent. And Ooh. so even though she, yeah, even though she doesn't have any experience with directing, she's going to do that. She loves musicals. I mean, she's always quoting from musicals. She's always doing you know life comparisons and and all that stuff to musicals she's just every, there are a lot of cool uh you know quotes and stuff um, for her with with musicals and she's made a couple of really good friends and um she's really really becoming attracted to miles he sort of makes her swoon whenever he's around and he's going to be around her a lot because he's also involved in the theater. He works on like stage sets and, and stuff like that. So he's around a lot. So she now has a problem because she likes these friends. She really likes Miles. And she is HIV positive. And she knows that she should be honest about that. If she keeps her viral load low, she's totally risk-free. And she's been able to do that for quite a while. Still, though, if she gets closer to Miles, she feels like she, she should be honest. And so she's, she's agonizing about what will happen. The last time her HIV status became uh, public, it was not good. It was ugly. So she uh, gets a note in her locker one day. And the note says, stay away from Miles or your secret will come out. Uh oh. And so now she doesn't know what to do. She knows all about fear and hate and uh, they, they, what the damage they can do. So what will she do? And the thing about this book that I loved is that, well, there were, there were a few things, but her fathers were just, they were just so cool. They were very different, you know, people that just were so in love with each other and so supportive of each other. They, they celebrated their differences. They were very, very cool with her. Um, she had just really unique relationships with each one of them that were really, I, I thought, written well in the book. She had really, it was a great support system. And it's just well-written. I really, I liked it a lot. I highly recommend it. And once again, that's Full Disclosure by Cameron Garrett. I enjoyed this book. This. I read it a couple of years ago. Yeah, this looks really good. I also want to read the second one that she wrote, which is um, Off the Record. Ooh. 
I didn't know there was. I have that I one. It. I have that one on my uh, phone. I haven't read it yet. So my first book tonight is Little Fish by Casey Plett. I think that's how you'd say it. Um, so our main character's name is Wendy. Um, she's a 30-something-year-old trans woman who lives in Winnipeg, which is in Canada. And of course, I'm excited because it's Canadian. And yes. this book follows um, follows her life and kind of gives you a glimpse into the difficulties of being a trans woman um, in Canada, but I'm sure it's similar all over the world. And it also gives you a glimpse into the difficulties when you don't have a lot of money. So like what you need to turn towards and like the dangers in that. So when we begin, um, Wendy's grandmother has passed away and her and her father are kind of going through her, um, like her place and trying to figure out like what to get rid of, what to do what. So as they're doing this, she's learning different things about her grandmother that she didn't know. And then as she begins talking to some of the family members, some little like whispers start coming out about her, her grandfather. Um, she is from a Mennonite family. So Wendy herself and her father, like they're not, they, they never practiced um, being a Mennonite, but um, her grandfather was from a very Orthodox Mennonite family. Um, but there's whispers of him being a trans woman. So of course, this really interests Wendy and she wants to learn more. So she starts looking and she finds like a couple family albums, which give her a glimpse into her family. Um, the first one has a whole bunch of pictures of her grandfather interacting with the family and stuff like that. And then she notices that he's kind of like missing from like a whole, I think she like, he's like missing for a year or two in the albums. And she's kind of wondering like, why is this? So she calls this woman and she's a very devout um, Mennonite woman. And she begins talking to Wendy about religion and about how her father, like her grandfather really struggled. He really, really tried hard to be a good Mennonite man. So like that kind of gives you an idea of how the whole Mennonite religion takes to, um, like, even just takes to differences and how her grandfather struggled. Um, we don't learn as much as I would have liked about her grandfather, um, but you get to see, like, how difficult it would have been for her grandfather to be a trans woman and how he probably struggled with trying to be what what like what he really wasn't or what he didn't feel was himself so I really thought this book kind of gave you like the real nitty-gritty of what life could be like what life is like for trans people like the difficulties they face and the like prejudices that they encounter. Um, I really liked learning about Wendy and the um, kind of like the family that she created in the people that she lives with. She lives with, um, I think it's three, three trans women. And they're all from different kind of different generations and like different backgrounds. So you learn about them. Um, this book does have um, one of the characters commits suicide. So you have that um, and you watch the characters deal with that grief and stuff like that. So if you'd like to learn more, you will have to check out Little Fish by Casey Plett.
All right. So my next book um, is actually a duology. This is the Witch King duology by H.E. Edgeman. Hooray! Um, Amber, yes, Hooray! Amber recommended this to me um, <laughs> when we did the like recommended by other beastresses yes. episode a few months ago, and so I read it for that. And, and I, I believe, really loved it. Yes, I believe I was like, you have to read this right now. Yes, and you yes, did. You, you, were... you did not. I did. Well, not right <laughs> I away. I wanted you. I wanted you to read it like immediately within five seconds. And oh well, I, I couldn't yeah. do that. But I, I did well, read it when you told me. Right. <laughs> wow. I, I did obey the, the call. Before I actually get into what this book is about, I do want to say that this is kind of a dark duology in in places. Um, there is a lot of transphobia in some places, even some like internalized transphobia. Um, The plot itself has a lot of darkness. So definitely be in a, you know, the the right kind of space to read a book like this. But this is about Wyatt and Wyatt is a trans boy living in Texas when we meet him. But he wasn't actually born in Texas. In fact, he wasn't really born in this world. He is a witch who has been the fated mate of a fae prince. And when he was growing up, he was, you know, being raised as the girl that everyone thought he was. And he was set to be like the queen of this kingdom because he would, you know, marry Amir. Amir would become king. And supposedly they would have children carry on the bloodline. Everything would be fantastic. But this isn't how things played out for Wyatt, because Wyatt, first of all, is a witch. And in this world, witches are looked down upon. They are like second class citizens. A lot of people, when their kids are born, if they find out that they're witches, they leave them like out in the wilderness to die. And so nobody really liked that Amir was a fated mate to a witch, but there wasn't really anything they could do about it. But Wyatt also began to realize that he is not a girl and doesn't want to live life as a girl. And so in sort of a fit of desperation, he does something that causes a lot of problems, but also causes him to be able to leave this kingdom. And so he's been in Texas and trying to live as best he can as like a a human trans boy. Well, everything kind of comes to a halt when Amir shows up and Amir tells Wyatt that he needs him to come home, that things are not going well in his kingdom and it's time for Wyatt to like step up and take his place beside Amir and they will rule together. Wyatt does not want to do this. Um, He does not want to deal with all of the bigotry that he you know, is, is used to facing from the people in his homeland. Um, and he also just doesn't fully understand his feelings for Amir. Like the whole faded mate thing has always been complicated for him, especially as he comes to terms with his own gender identity. But he does go back with Amir. He does return home and starts to you know, try to figure out like what his place is in this world. But this world is undergoing a lot of political strife. Um, There's a lot of of changes that some people are wanting to make and other people don't necessarily want these changes to happen. Um, So there's definitely a lot going on that kind of carries over from the first book, which is The Witch King, into the second book, which is The Fae Keeper. Um, I think the author gives us a note at the beginning of the second book and Mm. they talk about how the witch king contained a lot of themselves and like their own sort of, you know, personal story in a lot of ways. And the fake keeper sort of transitions to kind of a look at like trans history kind of, Mm -hmm. and the ways in which the world Um, treats trans people unfairly. And so I think there's a lot of parallels that can be drawn between this kind of, you know, fantastical world 
and the world that we are actually living in. We see a lot about the way people are judged for like things that they have no control over. Um, and also the ways in which marginalized people try to you know, band together and overcome adversity when the people in power you know, don't really want them to do that. There are some really excellent found family elements here. I love the relationship that Wyatt has with his best friend, Briar. Um, I think Briar is just <clears throat> such an excellent character in a lot of ways. We see, you know, how she and, and Wyatt have really like claimed each other as family and how there are some, some difficulties that come from this, that at first, you know, no one wants to really recognize. And then eventually they start looking at things in kind of a, a deeper, broader way. But it is, I just, I love both of these books so much. It, they can be hard reads, um, but I think they do such a, an important job of like letting people see through a fantasy setting um, some of the things that go on in our world that really shouldn't be going on in, in 2022. So this starts out with The Witch King. It is The Witch King Duology, book one by H.E. Edgman. Um, read it, love it, and feel all of the emotions that it will bring up while you read and it. read it. I mean, read it right now, like stop the podcast. Go <laughs> yes. and read it in it. five seconds. Well, yes. no, 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 no. You can't read it in oh. five seconds. But okay. I that was where I was going wrong. Okay. Started okay. within <laughs> five seconds. Ooh, I'm so, so, go so ahead, glad pause. we clarified that because I, know, I was really pause worried the about podcast, this. Go get it from your library. Cause there's going to be a hold, like there's going to be a wait list. <laughs> yes. Probably you can't just mm. like go get it. Yeah. So, and, and then come back because you're going to want to hear more books to tell you about. Oh, many. (laughs) Right. Okay. So I am so excited um, because, you know, and I was telling the ladies this before the podcast started, I have read so much great, um, you know, LGBTQ young adult fiction in the last like months. And it makes me so happy and so excited. Um, and young adult fiction isn't really something that I normally read, but oh, why not? I know, <laughs> I know, but I, I, but I am such a huge fan. So let's, uh, start out with the Lesbiana's Guide to Catholic School yes. by, yes, by Sonora, Sonora Reyes. So in this book, we meet Yami and Yami is the only queer Mexican-American girl at her uh, very white Catholic rich school. Her and her brother uh, Cesar are both going to this school and Yami is in charge of making sure that Cesar doesn't mess up and get beaten up and get attacked. And uh, Cesar is a little bit of a troublemaker, but you find out why in this book. Um, Yami, before she started at this uh, Catholic school was outed by her best friend and uh, at the time love interest. Um, uh, Yami told her, you know, that she really liked her, that she was attracted to her and the girl just like freaked out and, you know, uh, basically said, I'm not interested, uh, pushed her away, wouldn't talk to her um, And all this stuff. Um, Yami's parents are separated. Her mom, uh, she, her mom, and her brother live in Phoenix, and then her dad got deported to Mexico. Um, <clears throat> and Yami is very close with her father, and Cesar is very close with his mother. Um, and Yami, Yami has some pretty serious concerns about her mom kicking her out of the house if she finds out that she's a lesbian. So. Uh, one of the things that Yami really does is, you know, she finds some jobs so that she can make money so that if her mom does ever find out, you know, she can get an apartment and move out. Uh, but Yami has decided that at her new Catholic school, no one's going to find out she's gay. She's going to show up. She's going to do great work. She's going to, you know, look fantastic. 
and no one's ever going to find out she's gay. But then she meets Bo. <clears throat> and Bo is the only uh, out gay person at this Catholic school. And Bo is Chinese. And she was adopted by um, her parents who are both white. And Bo is, you know, just like, she doesn't care if anyone knows that she's gay. And Yami falls pretty hard for her, but she doesn't want Bo to know because, you know, she's pretending like she's straight. So this whole book is about Yami coming to find out what's really important to her, you know, what happens when she decides to come out to different people at different times. And it really parallels like being able to come out in your own time and in your own place to, you know, your, your people in groups or individually. Um, But, you know, as, as opposed to uh, being outed Um, and I mean, this, this book was fantastic. It was funny. It was heartbreaking. Um, there was a lot of found family. There is a, a gay prom, um, Ooh. which is interesting. And, and the way it comes about is super interesting. And I just really love this book. There's a lot of, you know, good representation and a lot of, you know, different, um, different issues that are brought up in this book. You know, there's, there are issues of deportation and immigration. There are issues of identity, Um, There are issues of, you know, rich versus not so rich, you know, things like that. So definitely check it out. Even if you're an adult, I guarantee you'll like it. Uh, It is the Lesbiana's Guide to Catholic School by Sonora Reyes. So the second book I'm going to talk about does not take place in San Francisco. Um, It is Surrender Your Sons by Adam Sass. And... uh, in this book, we are with Connor Major. He's 17 years old. And this past school year has not been a stellar one for him. Uh, Grades-wise, uh, he's really glad for the summer break. And he has a boyfriend he's been seeing for a short time named Ario. And Ario has come out to his friends and family. And it was a wonderful just great experience for him. So he tells Connor that if Connor comes out of the closet, it will save his life. (laughs) And I'm not sure why Connor listens to this because Ario doesn't know anything about his family or why he would be in the closet. And Connor has really good reasons for being in the closet. I mean, way back in the closet, behind all the clothes, behind the, you know, worn out luggage, just as far back in that closet as you can go, he'd be there. But he works his way out of the closet and he tells, comes out as gay. And he has a vastly different experience than Ario. Uh, that's probably, you know, that, that's, that's putting it mildly. Um, in fact, it puts him in great danger. Uh, his mother who is uber religious in, in the real sort of scary fundamentalist way has him kidnapped in the middle of the night and taken to a conversion sent camp on an isolated island off Costa Rica. And this camp is run by the minister of his mother's church. Uh, He's very charismatic, very tyrannical. Um, Reverend Stanley Packard. And it's called Nightlight Ministries. And it is not at all what it seems. Um, Even if it were just a conversion camp, like that would be hideous enough on its own. But it's a lot worse than that. Um, Connor sees a lot of cruel punishments. And he learns that everybody, campers and staff alike, have all kinds of secrets. They're very dark and very dangerous. 
And he becomes determined to get the campers and himself off the island and to bring the camp down, bring Packard down, really wants to do this. But to do this, he has to collect evidence, which is neither easy nor safe. Um, and it's cool. As, as time goes by, we, as days pass, we get to meet the different campers. We get to learn about their varied backgrounds and struggles that they have both on the island and at the camp and, and off of the island. Um, we get to see friendships evolve and grow deep very quickly because of what they're going through together. Connor um, gets to see him fall in love with his cabin mate and have a really different experience than he had with um, Ario. It's, it's a, a really neat thing to watch. Um, and this book did a wonderful job depicting struggles with internalized homophobia, with how, how you deal with people who are, quote, different, unquote, how you deal with them that's not good, and maybe how you should deal with them that's a lot better. Um, I, I liked it a lot. It was, uh, it was very, very well done, very scary look at, uh, at something that's too real, which is the whole conversion center, conversion camp. Um, thing. So anyway, that is Surrender Your Sons and is by Adam Sass. So my next book is The Ghosts We Keep by Mason Deaver. And in this book, we follow Liam Cooper. He has just lost his big brother, Ethan. So this book is a lot about him dealing with about, sorry, about Liam dealing with the grief of losing their, their brother. Um, and so while doing this, kind of coming into themselves and figuring out who exactly they are, um, you feel the pain um, that Liam feels. And you also see the difficulties they have with their friends and also with their parents. So it's kind of a difficult read, but it's also an important read because I think we don't always think about what somebody's going through when they lose somebody. Like a lot of people, like in different spots in the book, people are kind of telling Liam like, well, it's been a month like you need to get back to life and get back to doing the things that you normally do. Like kind of like, what's your problem? And so you kind of like see their struggle with kind of telling people that no, like this was my brother, this is my best friend. And like, there's a lot of difficulties in losing him. So we learn about how Ethan died. So he was um, a victim of a hit and run. And you can see the difficulties that Liam's parents are having with the death of their son. I thought it was interesting how Liam's friends dealt with, his, um, with their grief. Um, at one point, the friend, their friends like just got kind of fed up with Liam's attitude and just with their like neediness. So their friend, um, their friends are kind of like that they've gone to school with since they were in like elementary school, um, especially I think his name's Joel. So Joel is one of their friends that they've had since they were in elementary school. And Joel is going out with Vanessa, who is another of Liam's friends. And it's really difficult for Liam to see Vanessa and Joel falling in love. Like they're very touchy feely. And it really bothers Liam because they wanna be, they wanna find love too. Um, they have a crush on one of Ethan, their brother's best friends, his name is Marcus. And you get to see his interactions with Marcus 
And also through Marcus, we learn more about Ethan and the struggles that Ethan were, was having that Liam didn't know about. And you also learn about the special bond that Marcus and Ethan had that again, Liam had no idea about. I thought it was great that he had, um, that they had Marcus to kind of learn about their brother. But I also kind of, I felt bad. I really, I, <laughs> I felt bad because as I said, they had this crush on Marcus and through the things they learn, they realized that their crush was never like reciprocated. So I kind of felt oh. bad for them. I know. It's always hard when your crush is not, not even thinking about you. <laughs> so I'm going to leave it at that. I know it was kind of very like high level descriptions, but I don't want to give anything away. I really enjoyed this book. Um, I felt for them and their grief because I remember losing like in different family members that I've lost and the way that grief works. And so like, I've kind of really felt for them. So this is The Ghosts We Keep and it's by Mason Deaver. My last pick tonight just came out at the end of May. This is Her Majesty's Royal Coven. This is an Amber book, if ever there was one. Um, Her Majesty's Royal Coven, book one by Juno Dawson. So this book operates on the premise that hundreds of years ago, Anne Boleyn started a coven and it was Her Majesty's Royal Coven. And from that time, generation after generation after generation of women and girls have been a part of this coven. I am, do you hear me dying? Uh-huh, yeah. see, it, it is <laughs> an amber book. I know it is. <laughs> so we're now in contemporary times. And sadly, the number of witches that are being born and uh, ha- has lessened. So the coven is now much smaller than it once was. It's also important to know that before the start of this book, there was kind of a civil war in the the witch world. And now that the war is over, people are trying to like rebuild the the whole like society of, of covens and like what it means to be a witch versus a warlock. Um, and there's just like all this political stuff going on that is causing problems for this group of five women that we're following. So we first see them when they're really young and they are just getting ready to join the coven. And then we rejoin them 25 years later, kind of after the civil war. And now we see the kind of like rebuilding process. So we have Helena who is now the high priestess of the coven and she is struggling kind of with what it means to be in this position of power. Like, how does she kind of deal with that when so much of what's going on politically, like, doesn't doesn't feel quite right to her? We also have Maeve, who is mourning um, the loss of her partner and is dealing with something that you don't learn about right away that is catastrophic that happened to her twin sister during the witch, like the witching war. Um, Kira is Maeve's twin sister and is someone that like you don't get to see a lot of in the book, but that you you hear a lot about and you see kind of her influence on the group sort of through these different lenses of the women around her. There's also uh, Leonie who has left the coven behind and is working on creating a new sort of more inclusive coven that is open to um, trans women. And that has kind of newer, you know, more, um, more inclusive 
political beliefs. And then there's Elle, who is very ashamed of who she is as a witch. And she works hard to keep this part of her life hidden. Um, but she's struggling because her daughter is also showing some early signs of having magical abilities. And she's trying to figure out, like, does she tell her daughter, you know, the truth about who she is and about the coven? And what role can she have? Like, how does she how does she navigate this? Like her daughter, is she going to join sort of the older, like more traditional coven or would she be more comfortable with Leonie where people are more inclusive and where some of the, the rules and ideologies aren't so outdated? Um, this book talks a lot about the way things do and don't change over time. The things that we cling to in the name of tradition, when maybe some of those traditions like, you know, shouldn't have existed in the first place. Um, we learn about inclusivity in a way that kind of reminds me of like some of the things that they did in The Witch King, where it's set in this kind of, you know, world that isn't ours, but that uses the concepts of things that we face in our world and brings it into this sort of, you know, alternate version of the UK that we're seeing in this book. Um, Juno Dawson is a trans author. They've written in a few different genres. I think they have a couple of young adult books. Um, I think their first adult novel came out a couple of years ago, but this is slated to be a trilogy. And I am super excited to see how it, how it develops. Um, there's just so much to love here, so much female friendship, again, kind of like in Payback's a Witch, like so much look at, so much of a look at empowerment and figuring out like who you are and how you as a single person <clears throat> or as part of a group can affect the world as a whole. Um, if you haven't heard about this, I highly recommend it. It's gotten a lot of early buzz and it's been out now for a few weeks and I am I, I love it so much. So this is Her Majesty's Royal Coven, Her Majesty's Royal Coven, book one, and it's by Juno Dawson. I already got it. I've got it loaded. It's ready to go. Very good. <laughs> no I told time, I told I told Champ about it. She's purring oh, so cool. loudly that I get ah, very good champ. Her. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, yeah, I, I really liked it. Yeah. So my last book this evening was such a fun book. Um, I have never wanted to hug a kid so much as I wanted to hug Amos Abernathy. Uh, so this book is called The Civil War of Amos Abernathy. And it is by Michael Leali. So let me tell you about Amos Abernathy. He lives in a little town in Illinois. He is 13 years old. He has known that he was gay since he was like a little kid. And he is in love with his friend, Ben. I think his name is Ben. We'll call him Ben, even though it might not be Ben. Uh, <laughs> makes me think of Mika. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, so Amos... Uh, Amos's mom works at a living history museum and every year they do a civil war reenactment. I love the civil war. I love Abraham Lincoln. And so this is like right up my alley. So Amos is a living history reenactor. So every weekend at the park, he and his friends, they do like old time butter churning. They show, you know, kids what it was like to go to school in like the 1860s. They do, you know, all of this cool stuff um, to show off. living history. Yeah. So Amos finds out he, he's feeling a little lonely because, um, you know, as the book goes along, his relationships change. Um, ben can't be around him anymore because of his very conservative family. Um, and, and Amos is feeling very 
lonely. And mm-hmm. during some of his research into a um, into a proposal for the Living History Museum, he finds out about Albert. And Albert is or was a trans man in the 1860s, and he was in the Civil War. But then when the war was over, he uh, just continued to live as a man. And so um, Amos feels a connection with Albert. So this whole book is Amos writing letters to Albert about what's happening Mm. to him, about, you know, what's happening with the Living History Museum and Ben and, you know, his friends and his mom. And it is all about how history is represented and how, you know, a lot of cis white men wrote history. And that's not usually the way that things went. There were black people in history. There were, you know, gay people in history. There were trans people in history. But history is never told from their perspective. And it's all about how Amos and his friends change the way that the history is represented at this living history museum and how you know they they don't rewrite history because history was always this way but they highlight the different ways in which history was and history is and it was just a fantastic book I loved Amos he may be one of my favorite characters in all of this year's literature, way to go, Amos. The year's not even half over yet, but you still win. <laughs> and uh, he, it was just a fantastic book. I think everyone should read it. If you like history, if you are interested in the way history is presented, if you're a fan of young adult literature, definitely pick this one up. It is The Civil War of Amos Abernathy by Michael Lealy. Wow. Okay. Have to grab I will this. be looking for this book. Yeah. It's really, yeah, it's really um the only thing that I didn't like is they talk, they talk, he talked about a lot of inclusion, you know, religion, racial, but you know, once again, people with disabilities kind of get left mm. out. And I didn't really appreciate mm. that. But um, other mm. than that, I mean, great, great book. And just how proud Amos was of who he is. He he doesn't take you know he just he's the way he is and oh man it's great okay so the last book that i'm going to talk about is last night at the telegraph club by melinda Lowe. it takes us back to san francisco to chinatown uh during the red scare of the late 50s early 60s this is not a good time to be gay or lesbian. <laughs> Newsflash. Um, it's, it's just, it's very scary. Our main character is Lily, who lives with her uh, family in Chinatown. And they're sort of always living under the, especially now, living under the fear of deportment. Um, they're just, they, they're, they're always afraid. So they want Lily to be a dutiful daughter and get married and live life as they think she should. And all Lily wants is to be an astronaut. She is interested in everything, rockets and space exploration. And she's also starting to have some really big conflicts about her sexuality. Um, She has been forbidden to go into these few blocks of Chinatown by her parents. She's told that's not a good place to go. Don't ever go there. So of course that makes her want to go. And it is the uh, sort of, if there's such a thing in in that time, but there's a bookshop there and there's, it's where gay and lesbian people are. And so she goes walking around there and she finds a she sees a book in the window of a bookshop and it's a lesbian love story and it just totally captivates her and she goes into this shop whenever she gets a chance she takes the book and she tries to read like a few pages here and a few pages there hoping that she'll get through it because she's just 
so alive when she's reading it. And um, she also meets, she, she starts to be really drawn to this girl at her school named Kath, who has no friends because she's different. And Lily is very, very, wants to get to know her, wants to become friends. And as she does become friends with her, her best friend Shirley and her group of friends does not like this. Um, they keep telling her, stay away from Kath. She's going to get you in trouble. You don't want to hang around with her. But she she does. They talk. They, they kind of hint at things about themselves. And Kath takes her one night to the Telegraph Club, which is the lesbian bar. And she is just she's just exhilarated and just it, it it's a totally different experience and she wants to just keep having it and doing it and going there she starts to meet really different people some of Kath's friends and her feelings for Kath grow um and of course uh events are going to happen that make it so that she ends up needing to uh her parents find out about her or at least they find out what she thinks about her they don't believe it and so there's a lot of confrontation there are really bad things that happen around that um her parents are her, her mother is very angry and very much wants to just forget that she even has a daughter. Um, so there's a lot of, of, a lot of that to go through before you get to the, the end of it. And the thing about it is it's so beautifully written. It's the, the shyness with which the, the two young women approach each other and learn and grow and the way that life is during that time that's so different from what we know now and it was such a sweet love story I, I just I liked it a great deal and yeah it has some hard moments but it's <clears throat> really well written and so it is last night at the telegraph club by Melinda Lowe I have this book to read I'm super excited about it it's a great book. Yeah, it. it looks really good. So my last book tonight is called Man O War, and it's by Corey McCarthy. So our main character's name is River. And River attends high school. When we begin the book, we join them at kind of like an end of the year annual kind of outing that the high school goes on. Um, they take the school, like the senior class or whatever class to this like aquarium. It's kind of, kind of like SeaWorld, but I think it's called Sea Planet or something like that. And I don't know, it's so weird, but she's there. <laughs> I mean, sorry, they're there and they're getting together with their friends were um, meeting um, their girlfriend, Taylor, and we're seeing the struggles that they're having. Um, and she meets this person named Indy. Um, and Indy is a very, at least we, I, we assume, comfortable with themselves, um, queer individual, and they kind of get River thinking about themselves and about their life and how they're kind of like the sharks in this, like, um, what's the exhibit um, that Indy is in charge of and how they're in this like cage and they're kind of stuck doing what, like they're kind of like stuck doing what people want them to do. So River really realizes that 
they are who they are because that's what they're being told they should be. And they're also being told that they should act this way, look this way. Um, they're being told that they're, they're being told that they're a lesbian, but they don't know that that is actually what they are. They haven't really decided. So through the book, we get to watch River come into themselves and kind of we learn about gender fluidity and how things kind of change as you and as you evolve. And through the book, River evolves. Um, one thing that really made me sad is how River's mother in particular is very like dismissive about how River is kind of how, how River's feeling about themselves and how River's life is kind of facing, how, she's, how they're facing some difficulties. And then to add to that, River's brother um, is gay. He identifies himself as actually as um, asexual and their mother does not like kind of like dismisses it, just does not even want to like look at it. Doesn't want to face it. Doesn't want to like even, I don't know, like it's kind of, it was sad. So River is part of a swim team um, and we get to see the struggles that they have with the team and with the coach. Um, later in the book, River is at university and we get to see the difficulties that they have with the team there because we now join River at a time that they're beginning to identify as a trans, trans man. So they want to join the man, like the, the male swim team. But Ooh. the coach is like, there's no way that you can do this. There's no way that you're ever going to be able to seriously compete with all these other males. So while River is taking part in the tryouts, so they let them, the coach lets them try out, no problem. But then just completely dismisses that they were even there. While they're there, coach of the women's team is watching and says like I can give you a spot no problem like I'm pretty sure that you are like at least the second or third fastest of what I've seen so like how about you join and then hopefully as things progress this like coach who's like the of the males the men's team will hopefully retire at some point and then you can try out again and like River doesn't want to do this because River has struggled to get where they are and they've struggled with, um, I think it's called body dysphoria. And they, they finally come to a realization of who they want to be. And now they're struggling with trying to get people to accept them in this. Um, kind of um, reversing a little bit through the book, we get to see the interactions that River has with Indigo, um, aka Indy, and how Indy really helps River to come into themselves and kind of gets them to step out of their comfort zone and try to accept themselves and not just try to fit into a box. And that, my friends, is where I'm going to leave you because I do not want to give anything away. But I've really, really enjoyed this book. Um, it's Man O' War, and it's by Corey McCarthy. And once again, it is on my list. It's good. That is uh, it for us uh, tonight. Thank you to Brooke, to Amber, and Christine for joining me and coming up with so many great 
Pride-themed novels. Christine, of course, gets double thanks, as she always does when she yes. joins us, for both her contribution tonight and her constant contribution as our editor. I also want to thank each and every one of you who joins us each week as we talk about so many great books that we love. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.